Hello and welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Vision. This is your host, Greg Nielsen. I'm the president and CEO of Nielsen Training and Consulting, where we work with nonprofit organizations around the country in the areas of board excellence, strategy, and organizational development. I want to welcome everyone back for another episode of the podcast. Uh, looking forward to this conversation. Um, it's one that gets a lot of attention, uh, particularly now. We're going to be talking about fundraising in a COVID world. Um, obviously, COVID has changed many things about our nonprofit organizations and our operations and our leadership, uh, but has also affected our fundraising and our messaging and how we go about raising the resources that we need to lead organizations. Today, I'm pleased to be joined by Emily Weisgrau. Uh, Emily is the founder of Weisswood Strategies. Emily, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Greg. It's great to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. Uh, maybe begin by telling us a little bit about your background and about your work in the nonprofit community. Sure. Um, I started my career as a frontline fundraiser in opera companies and did a lot of different jobs. I was a prospect researcher and I did annual giving and events and grant writing. And I really got a great um, feel for all of the areas of development, which I continued to then do for a community foundation here in Philadelphia. And eventually what I realized that I loved was the communication side of fundraising. I didn't really want to be out making the asks. And so I transitioned to higher ed where you, they have niche jobs in development communications. And that's where I spent the next 10 years of my career before launching Weisswood Strategies last fall. I think that's fantastic. That's one of the things that I tell um, you know, development professionals, particularly in a coaching environment, is to get out there and experience all of the different aspects of fundraising. And you'll be able to tell where your passion is, where your interests lie. Um, so I think it's great that you were able to see fundraising from so many different perspectives to be able to identify where you fit the best. That's all right. And now when I work with clients, I kind of speak their language, whether they do annual giving or plan giving. I've done that work. So I understand what their needs are. So I want to talk a little bit about um, how you're how you're working with nonprofit organizations right now. Obviously, we are all in the midst of a pandemic that has um, disrupted many different op, you know, aspects of our organizations. How are you supporting nonprofit organizations during this time? You know, it's a mix. There's some business as usual. Um, one of my clients just wrapped up a $450 million campaign that had to end on time. And others have, you know, been doing their donor reporting and, and regular fundraising, but have had to do some pivoting around emergency funds and giving days, changing messaging sort of on the fly, um, racial justice fundraising as well, not just COVID. So the, there's definitely been a mix of we have to just keep working the plan. And also we have to change the plan. So <laughs> I understand. I, I guess maybe that's the first truth or giving truth to recognize right now is that fundraising um, has continued during the pandemic and has to continue during the pandemic. You know, I, I, I've heard an awful lot of conversation around, should we be fundraising during this time? Mm -hmm. And I, I'm wondering your reaction or response to that. Oh, I am 100% in the camp that says keep fundraising. Absolutely. But you have to do it compassionately and you have to check in with your donors and, you know, keep building the relationship and be aware that the relationship may have to change a little bit in, in a crisis. Right. When you say check in with your donors, I wonder what you've seen that's been most effective for organizations just in cultivating that relationship and that check-in process, that piece of asking folks how they're doing. What have you seen that's been most effective there? 
Well, certainly on the major gift level, you know, where there's a more personal relationship between a gift officer and a donor, I mean, those, those frontline fundraisers should just be reaching out and saying, how are you? And don't, you know, don't include an ask at that point, just check in and make it clear that you are part of their, their trusted advisor group and someone who cares about them just to keep the relationship going. Uh, where it's a little harder to do that might be with some annual fund donors where there's not as much of a personal personal connection, but pivoting a little bit on some communications. Um, for example, one of my clients, Swarthmore College, used to send out an email newsletter um, every week or so with just news from campus. Well, once the students left campus, <laughs> the news changed. And so they created a, a newsletter called Minding the Light. They're a Quaker institution, and that's a Quaker phrase. Uh -huh. And really, they're just sending people, um, you know, sort of beautiful pictures of campus and, and mini lectures from faculty recorded on Zoom and just things to sort of stay connected and a little bit of lightness for the inbox. So there's yeah. different ways you can really stay connected to donors digitally and in person. And I think that, that connectedness is really important. It's important for all of us as, as we go through a pandemic to remain connected to those institutions, those things, those aspects of our lives that are, that, that are so meaningful to us. Um, and so, you know, it's interesting as we, as we think about communication, we think about fundraising, um, one of the things that the pandemic has exposed is how well do you know your donors? As you mentioned, some of those major gift officers, you know, if you're, able, if you're doing a check-in, you know, one of the things that um, to pay attention to is how much do you know about that individual? Do you know about their, um, do you know how many kids they have? Do you know if their kids are in school? Do you know where they went to college? What, um, what, human connections can you make with people during this time is really one of the challenges that I've seen. I agree. So when we think about it, you know, you, you wrote a recent article that I read on LinkedIn, and, and that was what I think initially connected us on mm -hmm. four essentials during the COVID pandemic for fundraising. Um, talk to us a little bit about what you had in mind when you, when you sat down to write that article and any responses that you've received since then before we dig into each of the four essentials. Sure. So I started thinking about this with my own clients. Um, one in particular, I just mentioned Swarthmore, they have a very large endowment. And when the crisis hit, alumni were thinking, well, just pull a bunch of money out of the endowment and fix the problem. And I realized, gosh, you know, there needs to be a little bit more education around endowment fundraising. So that's one of the areas I talk about in, in the article. And then I started to think, I started to wonder, I wonder what's happening with recurring gifts right now. You know, I know people aren't necessarily writing lots of checks to nonprofits because of, you know, the economic situation, but if they've set up a recurring gift, have they canceled it or is it still going? And, you know, isn't that great for the organizations that can rely on that steady income? And I just started to percolate all these ideas of like, what are the things that nonprofits should be doing to kind of create a foundation of security for the next crisis, because if 2020 has taught us anything, there's going to be another problem sometime. Yeah. So how do you plan for that uncertain future? So the first essential that you talked about, and you alluded to it a moment ago, was recurring gifts. Um, so I wonder, you know, when you think about recurring gifts, how have uh, highly effective, healthy organizations approached recurring gifts during the, during the era of COVID-19? Well, I'm hoping that a lot of nonprofits already have these in place. And I think the ones that did are still seeing those gifts coming in. If there's an organization that hasn't been focusing on recurring gifts, there are some really easy tweaks that can be made 
to sort of get start to nudge people toward that rather than an annual gift. So for example, just flip on your gift form instead of asking first for a one-time gift, put recurring gifts first with some dollar amounts that will again nudge people in the right direction. That's a really easy change to make if you have an online gift form. If you have a print pledge form, a little harder because you have to reprint it, but for the next round, just make that little switch and that's gonna help. Other things are to talk about some of the messaging around why recurring gifts are really beneficial to the donor. So for example, they may wanna give more to the organization but can't write a big check right now. So if they spread out those payments over 12 months, they can give more over time. And that's also great for the organization. A lot of organizations won't solicit you nearly as often if you're a recurring gift donor, which I highly recommend, <laughs> um, both as a recurring gift donor myself and as a fundraising professional. So that's great. So the donors don't feel like you're constantly asking. And if they care about the environment, that's also great because you'll get fewer print solicitations. So it saves the organization money, but it also saves some trees, which is an bad thing. And the donor can just feel really good about the one-time setup and then just supporting their organization, you know, indefinitely. So you mentioned um, some of the data around recurring gifts. Um, what have you seen when it comes to those who give recurring gifts during this time of COVID? Have, has there been a decrease? Um, have there been cancellations? What, what is the data showing? You know, I only have some anecdotal evidence about this. I haven't seen some any hard data yet. I think it might be too early. But I have asked some of my colleagues and clients about this, and very, very few of them are seeing anyone cancel gifts. A couple here and there. But for the absolute most part, donors are keeping those gifts going. It may be because they're not even thinking about it or looking at their credit card statement. And in other cases, they just know that it, it's so important right now to have that steady source of funding. So whatever the reason, it's good for the organization. And, I, and definitely we're seeing it continue. So you gave us some good tips in terms of promoting or prompting folks to consider recurring gifts. Um, what are some of the best practices that you would recommend when it comes to stewarding those who have already made that type of pledge? particularly during the, the COVID time. So how do you, yeah. how often do you communicate with those folks? What does that communication look like? I'm so glad you asked that because I, reporting back to donors at every level is so important and loyalty should be recognized and rewarded just as much as large gifts. So for recurring gift donors, certainly any, any uh, donor who is making a gift for let's say three years or more might be included in some sort of loyalty society that gets special benefits or special recognition. Um, for another donor, maybe simply thanking them an additional time for setting up that recurring gift. And the most important thing is to report back on the impact that the donor's gift is having. And ways that organizations can do this really easily is don't wait for that annual report to come out. Report back sooner. So let's say maybe even twice a year, send out an email that aggregates some of the news from your organization that was impacted by those annual gifts, those recurring gifts, and just say thanks again. You, you know, obviously you have to thank a donor as soon as the gift comes in, but it doesn't hurt to say thank you more than once, and in fact, you should. So when you think about those recurring donors, those, those donors that are making a, a gift monthly, how many times per year would you recommend touching them in some way with, with some form of communication or outreach? I would, I would go for at least quarterly. Okay. Yeah. 
I think that's a really good target. It, twice a year is okay too. I'd say once is not enough though. Right. So, so it really depends on the capacity of the organization and, and what they can do. Yeah. A- absolutely. Um, the next fundraising essential that you touched on in the article is one that you alluded to earlier and that's endowment funding. And that has um, drawn an awful lot of attention in the news. Um, you know, certainly educational institutions that you're familiar with um, and other organizations that have significant endowments have been um, have been highlighted and spotlighted recently for what are they doing and what are the limitations and abilities uh, to draw down on some of those endowments. But you're saying that now is also a time to, to try to build and grow that safety net as well. Talk exactly. a little bit about that if you would. Sure. Well, you know, endowments are really like your retirement account. People think of them as savings accounts, but they're not. They're retirement accounts. You get a minimum distribution. You want it to last for a really long time, in this case, forever. And you can't just pull everything out of it or you're not um, adhering to what's called intergenerational equity, which is what you've essentially promised to a donor who's given to the endowment, that you will meet their intent in perpetuity and ensure that those funds last in perpetuity in order to meet that intent. So that's called intergenerational equity. And by law, nonprofits that have endowments must adhere to that. So you can't, they can't, they literally cannot just pull a bunch of money out and stick it where it needs to go if that's not how the donor wanted the money to be used. So the problem is a lot of people don't know that. And so endowment education is a really important thing to, to do. And this will help your fundraising for endowments because I think once people understand better how they work and what their limitations are, but also what their benefits are, they become really appealing ways to give because they do have such a long-term impact. Plus, the gift grows over time through investments. So a donor who, let's say, gives $100,000 today, in the future, that gift is going to be worth a lot more. And to know that you're leaving that kind of legacy is really valuable. So in a time of COVID right now, and, and we're obviously and, and legitimately hearing about so many, um, so many needs that are immediate uh, and so many organizations that are facing shortfalls that are immediate, how do you communicate about the value and benefit of endowment funding when there are so many messages that are hitting donors on a daily basis about immediate needs today? Right. So I, one of the ways that I like to do this is to show visually. I think, you know, charts and info graphics are really helpful and it conveys a lot of information in one picture which donors often appreciate so one of the things that I recommend is to show the value of the endowment when it start when it started and today showing the value of those gifts and how they've grown over time so you can do a chart for example that shows one line with the, the original value of gifts and the second line with the invested value of gifts and you'll see there's a huge discrepancy there a good one, one in which the growth is enormous. And essentially what this shows to donors is the value of compounding interest, which again resonates because we all understand how that works with our retirement accounts. So that's a really helpful way to sort of summarize um, how endowments make a difference over time and how they grow. Have you seen organizations that have communicated effectively about building endowment funding during this time? Yes, I'm actually working with one right now to build out an endowment website to talk more about these with a, a very robust FAQ about things like intergenerational equity, about uh, distribution policies and why you know it's only, let's say, in a three and a half to 5% range and you can't distribute more. 
um, what those distributions go to. This is really important too. Again, this is the impact side. So in a, let's say in a college situation, you're gonna wanna show how much of that distribution goes to financial aid, how much goes to faculty, what goes to you know, the student experience, general operating, et cetera, so that people understand the, in not just where their gift to the endowment is going, but how the endowment really benefits the organization as a whole and alleviates pressure on things like annual gifts and earned revenue. When you communicate about endowment funding, um, are there targeted donors that you're reaching out to or do you recommend an organization um, kind of share that information within it, with, it, with its entire donor base? I would share it widely. I, you may share more detailed information with a major gift segment because they're typically endowment gifts are larger. But I think there's real value in the education aspect of it for all constituents to understand how the endowment works in tandem with, let's say, annual gifts that maybe those other donors are making and how all of that plays into the budget puzzle. The next essential that you mentioned is emergency funding. And that is obviously something that, that is at the, at the front of many nonprofit leaders' minds right now as they're facing tremendous shortages. Um, and I know that there's, a, that there's a tension there when it comes to trying to raise money for an emergency fund of how do you communicate with your donors that your organization is stable um, or that your organization is well-led, well-managed, while not, while not freaking anyone out, but still generating the type of resources that you need to respond to an emergency situation. So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about emergency funding, fundraising, um, and how to message that appropriately. Sure. Well, certainly we saw many, many nonprofits creating emergency funds in the last six months for various COVID-related things, whether it was a theater company that needed to fund um, housing for their actors who were no longer able to be on stage, or student emergencies, kids who needed internet at home now that they were not on campus. Lots and lots of emergency funds popping up. Here's the thing. What, this emergency will eventually pass, and another one will come up. So rather than wait, keep that fund going. Maybe you have to rename it, that's okay. Keep it going, and this is really, in the way that the endowment fund is like your retirement account, the emergency fund is your savings account. This is your rainy day emergency fund. And it's and boring out there. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And yes, people do respond to urgent needs. So you, the minute something happens, you can just activate that and say, we have the fund in place. Maybe there's already some money in it, but you need to grow it. And even in a downtime when things are good and knock on wood, let's hope they are soon, you know, it's okay to raise money for that fund even then because people understand that something else will happen eventually. And it won't be nice to have the funds in there when it does. I think that's a great point about keeping an emergency fund open at all times, because I think that counters one of the, you know, one of the big worries of nonprofit leaders that I hear, which is that we would, that we would spook some of our donors if all of a sudden we are raising money for an emergency, uh, an emergency fund, that those who've given over time may worry, what is, is this organization unstable? Are they running out of money? Are they going to close their doors? Having that mechanism in place at all times and being able to communicate that this is just part of our emergency preparedness plan, that we activate a pre-existing fund, I think it can be reassuring to both donors and nonprofit leaders. That's exactly right. It shows that you're planning for the future and you've thought it through and you're ready. 
Absolutely. And then the final essential that you mentioned um, for, for fundraisers right now is planned gifts. Uh, and this, in my experience, uh, from a fundraising standpoint, is often the overlooked. Um, it, it, it's like the um, that, that um, aspect of our organization that we always want to pay attention to. It's on our to-do list. It just never seems to make it to the top of our to-do list. So maybe talk a little bit about planned giving during a time of crisis. Absolutely. Plan giving is one of those things where you don't know when the gift is going to come, but boy, when it does, it can really, really make a difference because planned gifts tend to be very big. They also tend to come from your more loyal donors, which is why that recurring gift program is so important. That's your pipeline right there. And, you know, the reality is that if you're not raising money from planned gifts, you are leaving a ton of money on the table. Again, this is about looking ahead, about securing your organization's future. And you don't have to be an expert in estate planning. Just start asking people to remember your organization in their wills. That's it. That's the minimum is to just put that language on everything you send out. And you're going to start to see results there. And eventually it's going to pay off. I think the, the other temptation um, that we tend to fall into is we think of planned gifts only from the mega wealthy, only from our major donors when in reality if you look at the data you know often planned gifts come from our $20 a month donors our $100 a month donors those who have just who have a connection to the mission and maybe they are not fabulously wealthy but still have the capacity to make a gift in their estate plan and so I, I, I always encourage nonprofit leaders to think broadly about planned giving don't just think about the the Bill Gates of the world who have uh, you know fabulous wealth and, and a and a and a very complex estate plan. That's exactly right. And annual gifts come from income, plan gifts come from assets, and people hold on to their assets. So if they can only, right, sometimes they can only give $25 a year, but boy, they've got, you know, a house they're gonna leave you, or a, an art collection, or their retirement account. Absolutely. The other segment of the donor base that I encourage nonprofit leaders to pay attention to in planned giving is those who've given from a donor advised fund. So I do a lot of work um, with helping nonprofit organizations understand donor advised funds. Um, but the data shows that more than 60% of those who have a donor advised fund also have an estate plan where they're planning to give at least some portion of their wealth to charity. So that if you're looking to segment a portion of your donor base, that's one that the research shows they, they're thinking about their estate plan. That's exactly right. A lot of people set up donor advised funds for the tax benefits, you know, which is not always the reason why people are making charitable gifts, but donor advised funds really solve a problem for people there. And if they have a tax problem, they probably have a lot of money. Absolutely. And, and, it, and are thinking about you know, long-term giving, you know, That's right. setting up a donor advised fund. One of the motivations that we see from people is to be able to continue their charitable giving either after they're working, um, you know, they're not receiving income from a salary anymore or through their retirement years. So it's someone who's thinking about charitable giving from a long-term perspective anyway, um, they're m most likely open to that conversation around. That's right. And you can name a beneficiary of a donor advised fund, just like a retirement account. Absolutely. So. It'd be great if it were your nonprofit. It would. It would. Emily, you've given us a lot of tips right now. I wonder if there are any parting words that you would share with our audience when it comes to um, really the challenges of fundraising during this period of COVID-19. I think I would just say that it's important to keep going. If you have a strategic plan, follow it. 
if you don't have one, do one now. It's good to have a plan, even though it will change. And keep, just keep that message, messaging around fundraising, compassionate and understanding, but also clear about your organization's mission and what the benefits are of supporting it. I think that's fantastic advice. And I would just add, pay attention to the responses that you receive from your supporters. What are the words, the phrases, the images that are resonating most with them? And don't be afraid to ask for feedback from those who supported your organization for an extended period of time of, of what are their needs during this time and what's resonating most with them. Because the more you can connect passion um, with your mission, uh, and passion with the donor intent, uh, the more successful you can be in fundraising. That's great advice. That's terrific engagement. Emily, I want to thank you for your time and joining us today on the podcast. For those who want to learn more uh, or want to follow you and learn more about your work or connect directly with you, maybe uh, share with our listeners ways that they can reach out to you directly. Sure. Well, I'm very active on LinkedIn and I invite everyone to connect with me there. And I also have a website, it's weisswood.com, W-E-I-S-W-O-O-D. And for those who may not understand the, the spelling of your last name, so they can find you on LinkedIn, Emily? Yes, it's W-E-I-S-G-R-A-U. Excellent. Thank you. I want to thank you again for your time. I want to thank everybody for listening. also want to thank all of you who have reached out recently with podcast topic ideas, guest ideas. Um, it's been absolutely awesome to see. I always love hearing from people. Um, who, are, who are listening to the podcast and have additional topics and ideas for us. I want to encourage you to continue reaching out. You can always find me on my website at nielsenconsults.com. Also active on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. You can always find me there. Um, I want to wish everybody uh, safe times. I know it's difficult out there right now. Um, we are all sticking together during this period of time and encourage everybody to stay connected. Thank you so much.